This is the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman. Brought to you by the Academy of Dental CPAs. Whether it's taxes, investing, or planning wisely, Art is your guide to make your dental practice as profitable as possible. Here's your host, Dental CPA, Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman CPA. That would be me. Uh, I'm a dental-specific CPA, my CPA practice, which uh, represents about 250 dentists and somewhere in the neighborhood of about 175 dental practices, uh, is located in Tustin, California, in Southern California. Uh, I am a, like I said, I've been a dental-specific CPA for 35 years, if you're listening for the first time. Uh, I'm also a proud member of the Academy of Dental CPAs, which is 24 CPA firms across the United States, and we pretty much cover every part of the country, uh, that represent over 9,000 dentists. And one of my missions in doing this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, to, to bring you information, but also hopefully to inspire and encourage you. And today, as I've, well, as I've told you in the past, I bring you some of my friends from dentistry, the people that work in the profession, the consultants and the, the attorneys and all the, all the folks that uh, help dentists to be successful. But I also told you that I was going to introduce you to some of, some of my clients who have been very successful in dentistry. And that's what we're going to do today. So today, my guest is Dr. Peter Abbas. Uh, Dr. Abbas is a general dentist whose practice is located in Laguna Hills, California. Now, I'm very familiar with Laguna Hills, California, because that is the town that I raised my uh, raised my family in. Uh, we lived in Laguna Hills from 1995 uh, until about 2015. And uh, my two boys, who I've talked about on the podcast, Nathan and Forrest, attended Laguna Hills High School. And it is an absolutely great community. And, uh, Dr. Abbas, the reason I'm, I'm asked, I've asked Dr. Abbas to come onto the podcast is because uh, I actually, um, sold Dr. Abbas his dental practice in Laguna Hills. And I was able to see his journey from when he started looking for a practice, uh, until when he bought the practice. And, um, uh, he was, uh, uh, I was honored that he chose, uh, our firm to be his CPAs after he bought the practice. And I've been able to see, uh, his success and his practice has grown uh, about 50% from the time he bought it. So we're going to talk about his journey today. I'm hopeful to inspire young dentists who are looking to buy practices. Uh, on this podcast, we are absolutely adamant that the private fee for service practice of dentistry is alive and well, and that there are really good practices out there to buy. And that if you do that, you can buy them provide quality dentistry to your patients, and be wildly successful. And we're going to talk about Dr. Abbas's journey um, while he was an associate, the process of him looking at a practice, and what he's done in his practice in the almost five years that he's owned it to, to make it successful and to generate that growth. So um, what I'd like to do is to tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Peter Abbas. Uh, he is a, a wonderful, wonderful young man clinician. Uh, Peter was born in Pennsylvania. Uh, he moved to the Inland Empire uh, area uh, and attended Redlands High School in Southern California. Peter got his bachelor's in molecular and cell biology, which means he's way too smart to be on my podcast because I can't even pronounce half of those words. Uh, he got that from uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, Peter got his DDS degree from the uh, fantastic University of Pacific Dental School. Uh, and then he did his, um, I guess they call it a GPR certificate in advanced education in general dentistry at the University of Southern California Dental School. Um, Peter is married. His wife uh, is a wonderful lady. I've met her several times, Mary, and they have two children, Hannah, who is nine, and Luke, who is five. So, Dr. Peter Abbas, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance. Thanks for having me on the show today, Art. Well, thank you for taking your time to do that. So, uh, again, Peter, I, I want to, like I say, to, to set the table, we're, we're going to talk about your journey. Um, so, I want to start off by talking about uh, a little bit about your journey. So, tell me, uh, you know, maybe a little bit about what, you know, what was dental school like? 
And then we're going to launch into talking about your associateship. I guess you had one uh, one associateship in in Orange County. So tell us a little bit about your journey from uh, from your perspective. Sure. So as you mentioned, I, I went to University of the Pacific School of Dentistry in San Francisco. Graduated there, class of two thousand five. Uh, dental school was fun. It was it was a lot of work, but uh, I really enjoyed every aspect of it um, because I got to do what I really wanted to do. Um, there were certain parts of it, certain classes, not to mention microbiology, things like that, that were not my most favorite. But you know, we, we really enjoyed uh, enjoyed uh, dental school quite a bit. Uh, I finished um, over at USC. I did my advanced education and general dentistry degree and finished there in 2006. And then um, basically I had a weekend off and starting in July of 2006, I started in private practice. Uh, I was working for uh, a uh, solo dentist in uh, Orange County. And uh, at the time it was a small four operatory practice. Uh, I took it as an opportunity to improve my clinical skills, my speed, my patient communication. Um, in 2007, that doctor uh, purchased another practice of a retiring dentist in a nearby city. Um, okay. So at that point, there were two different locations in two different cities nearby. So we jumped back and forth between the two practices. I was three days a week at one and two days a week at the other, uh, and alternating would be practice owner. Um, one of the things that that switched for me at that point when that happened was that I switched from working per diem to working on a collection-based compensation system, which really helped me think more like a practice owner rather than just an associate. That, that's, that, that's interesting. So uh, was that your choice to switch the compensation model or was it the owner's choice? It was kind of a combined, a combined thing we both talked about. He, he gave me the option of which way I'd like to go. And, and he, he said he'd almost be certain that my income would almost double. It didn't quite double, but it increased quite a bit by switching to the compensation based. And, and I really am glad I did that. Well, well as, as your accountant, I would have strongly encouraged doubling your income, Peter. There's no question about that. So talk to me about, you worked in a private practice. Was he a, was it a fee for service? Was it PPO, HMO? What, what, what was it? So it was a, it's a, it was the original practice was a fee for service, uh, only in network with Delta Premier. Right. Uh, that was the original practice. The practice he purchased um, about two years after me being in there with him, so that was in 2007, uh, late 2007, uh, that ended up being having a number of PPOs. There are no HMOs, but there were a number of PPOs that were in network in that particular practice. So, so let's talk about that for a second, because I want the audience to hear kind of how you practice. D- did you practice any differently uh, based on PPOs versus fee-for-service? I did not, um, but it, it, it was a challenge. I mean, many times you're taking 50 cents on the dollar for yep. these PPO schedules, Um so there were some challenges there, um, but you tried to do quadrant dentistry, tried to you know, approach it more comprehensively um, so that, you know, you're not doing, you know, a single unit, you know, composite on one quadrant and, and taking a loss that particular case. Right, right. No, that, that is very important. So tell me some of the, some of the things, let's talk about some of the things you learned as an associate. Let's talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So what are some of the, the, the really good things that you liked about the practice that you were in and some of the things that you picked up um, that were positives? So a lot of the positives, again, back to my clinical skills, I definitely improved my clinical skills uh, at that particular office. Uh, my patient communication skills improved drastically. Uh, the other thing which I learned in that practice was uh, steric dentistry. Um, the owner dentist that I was working with uh, was a big advocate of steric. He was a long-time user of steric technology. So I was able to uh, learn quite a bit about steric, and, and we used that quite a bit during our, in our practice as well. So I really uh, took the technology and uh, embraced it, and it really helped helped me in many, many ways. And actually, as a matter of fact, I still use Sarah until, until today. That was, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. No, that was the yeah. first major purchase I did in my new practice. Right. And so, okay, so that was, you. if I remember, if, if I've got the timeline right, Peter, it's like 2006, 2007, 2008. 
when you were there? Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, no, I was there from 2006 until 2015. Okay. So when you started with CEREC, it was, if I remember back then, it was CEREC 3 or something like that. It wasn't, the, it wasn't what it is today, that's for sure. It's, it wasn't. It was CEREC Red Camp. Oh, Red Camp. is I never remember the timeline. Oh, yeah. So it was, the 3D, it was a 3D version when I was there, um, but it was uh, the Red Camp, which is the infrared camera. Um, and then they shortly, I think about two years later than that blue cam came out, which is the laser based. Right. And then there's been two other generations since then as okay. well. What, what did you learn about? Uh, I know you weren't the owner, but what did you learn about managing a dental practice while you were an associate? I learned quite a bit, you know, as a, um, as, since, like I mentioned to you, we were jumping back and forth between those two locations for, for a couple of years. Um, I was basically, I had to learn how to swim on my own. Um, I didn't have that new doctor sitting over my shoulder, supervising and mentoring me. Um, so all those skills that I learned when he was there mentoring me, patient communication, clinical skills and whatnot, uh, were paramount to being successful. How, how was, how was working with, how, what did you learn about working with a dental team while you were an associate? Uh, your dental team is everything. Um, if you, if you're not, if you're not, you know, if you don't have a wonderful dental team and, and, and you're not wonderful to them, then they, they won't support you. Um, that was one of the major things that I learned um, that, you know, having a great successful team and mutual respect on both ends is, is, is very, very, very important. Okay. And so, so now those are some of the good things you learned, the communication, the clinical skills. What were some of the things that, and again, we're not mentioning anybody's name or what city the practice is in, but what, what were some of the things that might have, you said, well, you know, I'm not really uh, feeling the love for this or that in the practice. What are some of the things that were challenges that you thought maybe you would have changed? Well, so what happened with that practice was, um, and so we have the two different locations uh, from 2007 uh, until around 2010. And then uh, starting in 2010, the owner doctor decided to merge the two practices into one location. Um, ah. So um, basically um, during that time, you know, we're in the two locations, multiple associates were hired at that time because uh, the owner doctor ended up not being able to practice from it, from a, from a disability and so um, it was quite a challenge. So I was basically the senior associate at the time. And he, since he wasn't able to practice dentistry, had a number of associates working. Um, and um, in 2010, uh, this brand new facility was finished, finished uh, was completed. And basically, we moved both of those locations into this new location. And um, basically got rid of the two other facilities. So, uh, the new facility was state-of-the-art, brand new, uh, eight operatories, I believe, um, and all those patients were transitioned to the new facility. And it basically became a multi-doctor specialty practice as well. A uh, number, uh, number of clinicians there and uh, specialists, and it became quite, a, quite an operate. So were you the managing doctor kind of running the day-to-day -day operations of the practice? Um, I guess you could say so. I mean, the, the owner doctor was still very well involved, um, and his his spouse, also his wife, was was pretty well involved with new practice um, in terms of the management operation. But uh, a lot of the day to day stuff, I, I handle a lot of that. Um, you know, when they were on vacation, and whatnot. I, I handle you know minor things, you know, dropping but, off the rent checks and things like that that you know a normal practice owner would have to do on a on a regular basis, signing. Uh, uh, payroll slips and whatnot. Um, so I did do a lot of the managerial stuff in the practice, which which obviously was was just so wonderful that you could do that. Which which led which will lead us now into the discussion of your journey into practice ownership. Um, so yeah, so I decided to buy a practice um, probably around 2013 is when the the idea came to mind. I always knew I wanted to be a practice owner. However, there was some, there was some discussion between me and the previous um, practice that I was that I was a part of to become a partner, but that unfortunately never came to fruition. Okay. Um, so um, I really liked the practice that the previous owner had purchased back in 2007. Um, but there were some things about that practice that weren't 
quite perfect. One of them being as many PPOs as it was a part of. Um, so, um, yeah. yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about, so you, you woke up one day, you got up, you're sitting at the breakfast table with Mary and, and you said, Mary, I think it's time. How, how did that happen? Was it, was it like over a period of weeks? You just finally, so one day you woke up and said, I'm going to go buy me a practice. No, I don't think so. I just think that it was something that was, it, we were, it, it was a transition more than anything. It wasn't a single light bulb that went off or anything like that. But we said, let's start looking at other practices. And so I started looking in 2013 and I, I looked at a number of practices and I was always comparing and, and still, and still contemplating the idea of partnership with a practice that I was a part of, uh, because I, I still saw that as a as great opportunity as well. So I never threw that out the window. Um, but I, I said, let me continue to look for new practices from, on my own. And if something comes my way, great. Um, if not, you know, the partnership is maybe still an opportunity that's maybe still there. Right, right. So, all right. So did you have kind of a mental wish list of everything you wanted? T- talk about the the process in your mind of what, what were you looking for in buying a private practice? Sure. So I, I give the analogy of buying a practice. It's kind of like buying a house. Um, so I was looking for a mid-sized solo practice um, that fit what I do as a practitioner. Um, so again, similar to buying a house, you make a wish list of like, you know, X number of bedrooms, Y number of bathrooms. I want so many square feet in this school district. Um, but, you know, you make a wish list. Um, unfortunately, when you buy a dental practice, a lot of what you buy is thin air. <laughs> yep. Also known as goodwill. So <laughs> it's very difficult to quantify these things in a, in a practice. Um, and there's always going to be a compromise. For example, uh, on my wish list, I wanted a four or five operatory practice. And my current practice is three operatory. So I had to compromise a little bit in certain things. Uh, one, one of the most important aspects that I was looking for on my wish list was that the dentist who was retiring did a lot of what I do. Uh, again, I'm a restorative dentist. And if the practice that I was looking at did 20% of their production from endo and another 20% of their production from oral surgery, that probably wouldn't have been the best match for me. Right. I wouldn't have been able to add a lot to the table there. Right. Another, Go ahead. The other aspect that I really wanted to make sure was a very strong part of the practice I was purchasing was their hygiene department. Uh, I really wanted to make sure there was a dental hygienist at the practice to help transition those patients. Uh, the goodwill from a dental hygienist, I feel, is priceless. And so I was looking for an office that had a longstanding dental hygienist with maybe four or five days of dental hygiene per week. Okay. In addition, a strong team, like we talked about, the team was really important. I was looking for a strong team uh, in that practice that had been with a dentist for at least a few years with low turnarounds. Um, the, the turnaround gave me a clue as to the managerial style of the, of the dentist. Uh, there was new, a new dental assistant every six months there. Then you know perhaps that it may not be the dental hygienist, but there may be an issue with it, with a managing dentist there and how he managed the practice, he or she managed the practice. Okay. Uh, location was another important one. Um, I was looking for something at a professional building or professional plaza. And again, um, in terms of size, I was looking for four or five operatories as a, as a size wise. Okay, so so a nice uh, nice wish list, and uh, we're going to talk a, a lot about the practice you bought, but let's talk about the ones you didn't buy. So you told me in our uh, pre-recording uh, meeting that you had looked at, and I didn't know this, um, uh, 20 or so practices. That's a lot of practices to look at. So, uh, and again, what I want to do, Peter, and is, is I want you to share uh, maybe some advice for young dentists who are looking at buying a practice and maybe some advice for senior doctors as to what they should be doing um, to get a good young dentist like yourself to, to buy. So, so talk about the practices you looked at. Um, uh, obviously you didn't buy any of them. What were, what were some of the things that you saw? So again, I saw about I looked at about 20 practices. Actually, as a matter of fact, before I bought this practice, I was in escrow in another practice in a uh, nearby city as well that I ended up walking away from because 
uh, although everything looked great on the outside, once I did my due diligence, there were some issues that I saw with the practice uh, when my when my consultant was also evaluating some of the, uh, the metrics in the, in the practice. Um, so there were a number of different things in the practices. Uh, I, I tried to, you know, just like buying a house, I tried to ignore aesthetics. Um, really, a lot of it is who you're buying the practice from. Um, some of these practices were, you know, the, the, the doctor was selling the practice, but maybe moving to an, to somewhere in another town or wasn't really giving a, a clear answer as to what they were doing, which was a red flag for me. I was really looking for a practice uh, for, for someone who was retiring completely or like moving out of state. Uh, again, the worst thing that happened is, you know, you said, someone sells you a practice and then they move, you know, 10 miles out or just right outside of your, of your covenant uh, circle right. and open another practice. And then, you know, your patients say, I'll drive an extra 15 minutes to see my old dentist. Yep. Uh, and that, that really can take a big hit on you as a new, as a new practice owner. So uh, a retiring dentist was a really big deal. And a lot of the practices I saw, uh, dentists may not have been retiring. Um, a lot of dent- a lot of practices I saw when I was looking at their uh, you know reports and production reports were doing a lot of billing of a lot of codes that I particularly didn't didn't use quite a bit uh, that maybe uh, maybe production numbers a little higher than, than maybe what I would have been able to do. Uh, so again, back to to endo or oral surgery, if they did quite a bit of that, I wasn't doing any of that. Uh, that wasn't really a great practice. For me. This is great information, Peter, because uh, doctors who are looking for practices, what Dr. Abbas is did in his search is he didn't say, well, oh, God, I, I want to be – the location is all that matters to me, and I'll figure it out. He was really – it looks like, Peter, you were really looking for uh, something that fit like a glove, right? Absolutely. So I wanted to take something that I, that I can, can help grow. Um, again, I didn't want to be swimming upstream. Um, I wanted to take to, to get a practice that was going to allow me to grow into it and and uh, do a lot of the of what I do. So I was really looking for a, a dentist who had a very similar philosophy and similar style of practice to what I did. Okay, so then uh, you got to um, you came to Laguna Hills and you met uh, Dr. Bill Parks. Yeah. And doc, is it interesting? Doctor Parks' son played water polo with my son Forrest. So I I didn't know him well, but I had met him. I had known him, uh, and he is a, just a, a wonderful man. So um, when when you walked into that practice, um, what was your first impression? Uh, just there's something in your gut that tells you this is this is a fantastic place. Um, Bill Parks is such a great guy. Um, so again, first time I walked into the practice, I knew in my gut that um, it was a practice for me. Um, he, I met with Dr. Parks. He was a he was a fantastic guy, um, and so I decided to make an offer um, just just off that first visit and after first meeting with him. As it turns out, uh, there was other offers on the table, and I was not the first offer. I was a backup offer. Um, so I was bummed that I that I didn't get it. And as actually, as a matter of fact, I even looked at a couple of more practices, I think uh, with, with your partner, Phil Potter, right. Uh, after the facts. Um, and every time I went to another practice, I said, well, it's not, not as nice as that practice in Laguna Hills. And um, about four weeks after I made the initial offer, I think it was, I got a call from him from Dr. Parks. And he told me that asked me if I was still interested in the practice and that the previous uh, buyer uh, fell out. And I said, of course I am. And so uh, it was a, it was a great thing. And it, it kind of put everything into, uh, into perspective when I didn't get it. And then I had to continue to look and I was able to compare back to that practice in Laguna Hills that I eventually ended up buying and, and, um, and the rest is history. So talk about the due diligence that you did in Dr. Parks's practice and what, maybe some advice again for young dentists who are looking, because I, I had, uh, we have a couple of practices right now and and we go through with the young dentist, Peter, and they say, oh, I'm, I'll just come and look at a couple of charts, but he seems like a nice guy. So I, I, I don't represent buyers in practice sales. In fact, I make it very clear that I'm the seller's representative uh, and, and it is buyer beware out there. So 
Talk a little bit about what due diligence you did, uh, accounting and management, and, and, and what advice you'd give to young dentists on that. Sure. So I had um, two different uh, professionals that helped me vet, evaluate the practice. Uh, I had a pra- dental practice consultant um, with time um, was able to go through and review a lot of the reports in um, the practice management software looking at the hygiene schedule, hygiene production, um, x-rays taken, a lot of the metrics we use to measure the success of a dental practice, how many units of restorative bits doing a month, how many um, openings are there in, the, in, in hygiene going forward, how many openings were there in the past, uh, all those different things, because at the end of the day, uh, a, a successful hygiene department is really going to help keep you afloat uh, going forward. As we know, uh, Statistically, about 80% of the production we get in a dental practice is from our existing uh, patients on the hygiene schedule from the hygiene chair. Um, and then 20% may be coming from new patients. Okay. So that, was, that, was one of the, that was one of the things we did. The other um, professional was my dental CPA. Uh, at the time, uh, that was not you, Art. It was another, it was another CPA. as again, conflict of interest at the time. Right. Um, but the Dell CPA I was using went through and, and looked at uh, the tax returns and um, practice production reports and things like that, more on the financial side of things. So we kind of took the two different approaches. The, the consultant or coach took a look at the uh, clinical aspect and a lot of the metrics we used in the actual dental practice through the practice management software, while the CPA looked at more of the uh, financial uh, IRS side, if you will, the tax returns, the production reports, and, and all those things. And, and buyers, I would strongly, strongly urge you to do a complete due diligence, both on the management side and the accounting side. And as much as I would have loved to have represented Peter to do the due diligence in our CPA practice, it, it absolutely is a conflict of interest. And I, I, I don't do that. Peter, I'm going to take a break and, and just give some information out to our listeners, which uh, which I'd like them to have. Folks, if you want to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, California, I'm at 714-259-0505. Uh, email me with a question at artwiederman at gmail.com. If you want to look at our website, that's where all the podcasts will be. Um, the, this podcast will go up in late November of 2019. Uh, that's www.hmwccpa.com. Go to the resources tab and then go to the podcast tab and all of the podcast i believe this is number 50 if i am got my numbers right uh that we've recorded uh, we're again in uh, early december we hit one our one year anniversary which is very exciting and if you're looking for a dental specific cpa anywhere in the united states i'm the guy in southern california seven um and um uh, we do have a good firm and a great firm in, in san diego but in anywhere else in southern california um that that is us go to the website of the academy of dental cpas uh w www.adcpa.org. Okay, let's go back to the conversation, Peter. So, okay, so you met the staff the way we normally do practices. And again, this is, you know, I'm lucky I remember what I had for breakfast, no less what happened five years ago. Uh, you met the team before we closed, right? Correct. So, okay. Uh, we use uh, both you and, and Phil Potter, your partner, partner there, who are brokering the practice. Um, kind of, we had a, a kind of a timeline and what we can do to make this uh, make this all successful. Um, so about, I think it was about three days before we closed in the practice uh, was the, my first time meeting the Dell team. Uh, it was a bit nerve-wracking, um, but I recall the time um, when I was an associate and the, pre- the practice owner I was working for, we did the same thing with that practice he had bought. So I took some of the good and the bad from that, and I learned from that, and so... Um, it was pretty similar to what I experienced as an associate. Um, I kind of knew what to expect. It was during the lunch hour, um, and Dr. Parks with his three team members, his front office, his hygienist, and his assistant, uh, and myself, we all sat down in his waiting room and just kind of got to, got to chat. Um, the first thing I knew that was on the minds of the, of, of his staff was, do I have a job? Yep. The first thing on their mind, do I have a job and am I going to be paid the same? So the first thing I, I told them was, you all have a job. 
and there's no changes to your compensation. Just to give them peace of mind. Did you see a change in their facial expressions? At that point, they all kind of relaxed. Okay, that, that's a really good piece of advice, young dentists who are buying practices. Uh, when you walk in, don't start off by, okay, so we're going we're gonna to put in lasers and we're going to do this and we're going to change this. No, 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 no. No, no, no. We, 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 have, we have human beings who have jobs and have to pay their bills. And that is the, the most important thing to them is, you know, do, do we have a job? Um, and um, am I still going to get paid the same? And am I still coming to work Monday through Thursday? So, so okay, so that, that went well. And then let's talk about your first day in the practice. So first day in the practice, um, so we, we had closed, uh, signed the dotted line on, a, I think it was a Thursday afternoon or Friday, perhaps. That same day, we sent a mass mailing out to all of the patients of record uh, within a, a farewell letter slash introductory letter uh, from Dr. Parks. Uh, basically, it was co-authored by both Dr. Parks and myself, and it basically you know, explained to the patients that Dr. Parks was retiring and it introduced me as their new dentist. Of course, Monday morning rolls around and more than half the people that came in on Monday morning did not get that letter yet. So uh, one of the most important things I wanted to make sure of was that Dr. Parks was present in the office for the first couple of days to personally give the patients that letter and verbally and in, in person and, uh, and introduce me as well. So it, you know, it went fairly smoothly. Um, we didn't have any patients get up and walk out or anything crazy like that. Everyone was very understanding. And, uh, you know, it was it was a little nerve-wracking, but it, it all went really, really smoothly the first couple of days. So talk about how you gained, obviously telling the dental team that they had jobs <laughs> went a long way. Um, but but talk about how you gained the trust of the dental team. What 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 did you do? How did that go? Did it did it happen right away? Did it take a while? So I think you need to be genuine at the, at the first and foremost. Uh, you can't expect the dental team to be a hundred percent loyal to you from the beginning. Uh, you really have to earn their trust. Uh, they watch you work. They're watching your demeanor with the patients. They're listening to what you're saying to the patients. And they're, they're honestly checking your work. They want to see, you know, I take, for example, I take x-rays uh, while I'm trying in crowns and seeing crowns, and they're checking my margins on the x-rays. <laughs> Is this guy a really good dentist or not? Yeah, so I think it's really important to do great quality dentistry, and then naturally that trust will be earned. Right. You, you had mentioned uh, when we were talking earlier that you had a, you had a funny story. Yeah, so when I first, uh, the day I first met the, uh, the dental team, I, I came home and I put on my suit. I, you know, I wanted to look professional and everything like that. And, um, so I went and met the dental team and, and, you know, everything went really well. And we chatted and whatnot. I got home and I took off my suit coat and I said, what is this big white spot on my shoulder? And it, I realized at the time my son was still an infant. He was maybe six months old. And I had been carrying him before I went to the meeting. And I think he had either spit up or <laughs> And oh I did not realize it until I got home. And I was horrified. Oh, said, no. Oh, my gosh. I told my wife, Mary, how did you not tell me? She's like, I didn't notice it. Anyway, so I, I think a few weeks after, I, had, I just was joking with the team. Like, you just noticed that I had a, a little white spot on my shoulder. And they all chuckled. And they said, yeah, we did. But it made you real. So it was it was. You know, kind of a funny thing. Like my son decided to, you know, drool or spit up on my shoulder on my on my coat. <laughs> well, that that's what we, we want to show our patients that we have a family practice, and yes. you have a family. That's for sure. Um, in fact, I I remember when we did the signing. Um, Hannah was so cute. Uh, I, I I think it was it, it was Hannah that she helped and she brought the pens over and. Yeah, I think she was maybe four years old. She was she was kind of our assistant in getting that all done, and she was just absolutely absolutely adorable. So I, I want to get into um, you know some of the biggest challenges you faced when you walked in there. So uh, the biggest challenge that I had was um, the dental hygiene program. Unfortunately, um, remember I mentioned that one of the most important things I was looking for in a dental practice was a practice that had a strong dental hygiene program with a dental hygienist who had been there for quite a while. Right. Well, as it turns out, 
the dental hygienist that was working with the practice was having some medical issues with her, with her wrists and hands. And um, about a week after I took over the practice, she had mentioned to me she had, a, she had a doctor's appointment. And long story short, she was unable to come back to work because of her of her injury slash disability. After one week. After one week. Ouch. That was a big, big um, hit to me because, again, like I mentioned, the hygienist was one of those things that I was really looking for in a practice to help transition those patients. They, the patients have been seeing the dental hygienist for a good number of years. They have a great relationship with her or him. And that was one of the things that I had a really big challenge with. So I unfortunately had to have some uh, temporary hygienists working for me. That was a very difficult thing to try to find hygienists. Yep. It was very, very difficult to find a good hygienist. Um, I actually lost a good number of patients as a result of that. I had patients complaining to me about their cleaning, that their cleaning wasn't adequate or it was too rough or whatever it may have been while we had temporary hygienists in the practice. Um, So that was uh, the biggest challenge that I faced as a new practice owner. And that was something that was unforeseen. Okay. And, and, and folks, that's real life. <laughs> it's what well, they say. Life is not a dress rehearsal, right? So um, what about, uh, so what changes did you make in the practice, say in the first six months that you owned it? So my goal was to make zero changes. Okay. Uh, I really wanted to keep the status quo um, mostly for the staff, but also for the patients. Uh, I was told, don't even change the paint on the walls yet. You know, that was, that was one of the, the pieces of advice that I had heard over the years. Um, obviously, there were some changes that happened that I had no control of, like we talked about. Like the hygienist, right. Uh, the one thing I did implement that I knew would be a fantastic addition to the practice was the Sarah. Okay. Um, so I, that was the first major purchase I did. I, I purchased that maybe six weeks after buying the practice. And I was extremely comfortable with the technology. And so I knew that it was something I was going to be able to implement into the practice with no hiccups. Uh, I knew that it was simply just getting the dental assistant on board and teaching her the procedure and whatnot in order to get things going. And it was a hit from the beginning, of course, uh, with my experience and uh, again, I wouldn't recommend that someone who doesn't use Sarac to bring it on board as a new, new practice owner who have never who's never used it because there is a learning curve, and you don't want to quote unquote experiment on these brand new patients because you may lose some they may lose some confidence in you, especially as you're learning the technology. So, so maybe maybe a good piece of advice if I'm hearing you right, Peter is. If you are going to want to be a CIRIC dentist, go work in some CIRIC offices and get the experience of using the technology before you go buy a practice. Is that maybe a good piece of Absolutely. advice? Absolutely. And learn it well. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of practices, uh, some corporate practices, use CIRIC technology quite a bit and they, and they promote it, but the training may not be there. And a lot of the associate dentists who work for these corporate practices may not particularly like the technology because they haven't learned it properly. Uh, it's like anything else. It's a tool. Um, so you, you, it really depends on you as the clinician. You, you know, garbage in, garbage out, as we say. You know, if you're, right. not, if you're not learning how to use the technology properly, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. Well, and the good news is that the CEREC technology in 2000, I guess it would be 2014 uh, or 15 when you bought the practice, um, was a lot better than it was when you first used the, what was it, the RedCam? Yes, it, it had improved quite a bit. And um, so um, there was a quite a bit of improvement. I'm actually on the list for the newest system that's coming out, that came out, the Prime Scan. I should be getting that the next few weeks. Yep. Um, so, you know, always trying to stay on top of the uh, on top of the technology curve here, keep cutting edge and, and uh, keep our patients happy. Okay, so let's talk about what you've done to manage. I, I mentioned earlier, Peter, you have, and again, I get... You're one of my stars in in, in my CPA practice, your your practice over uh, the five years. You know, you're not going to grow a practice 30, 40 percent every year. That just doesn't. I've been doing this for 35 years. That doesn't happen. But talk about some of the things that you uh, look at in the practice and and maybe some of the things that you attribute your growth to. Because it's obviously in, in South Orange County. Uh, where we all live, where you and I live, and where, like say, where I raise my family, where you you now 
have you practice. It is very competitive. Uh, Laguna Hills is an interesting community and um, it's evolving a little bit. You and I have talked about that in our meetings. So talk about some of the things that you've done to to grow your practice and give us some really good pearls. So first and foremost, um, as the new practice owner, I found it very, very important to develop a rapport with patients. Um, So I'm generally a very conservative dentist. Um, So I I always tell my patients there are two obligations to them. First and foremost, I'm not going to recommend anything unless it's absolutely necessary. And secondly, I'm going to make sure I let them know about any problems before they get any worse. So those are always my two first obligations to our patients, and I always explain that to them. Um, That being said, there was some treatment that was quite a bit of treatment in the practice. Um, Patients had quite a bit, you know, large amalgams that were failing, um, older crowns that were starting to show some marginal uh, caries and marginal leakage around them. And so I, you know, had to get these patients and get this treatment done before the situation worsened. So initially, as the new practice owner, I tried to avoid doing any diagnosis for the first one or two visits with these patients unless I absolutely had to. And it was going to be something that was going to end up becoming a, a major problem had I, had I not recommended treatment. Right. Um, so the first year was a little difficult financially. Uh, I was barely keeping my head above water. I remember. Um, paying the, uh, you know, all the bills in the practice and practice loan. And I had this wonderful staff that had... They were very well compensated, and um, and so it was it was a difficult first year. Um, but but you had a plan. You had a plan. You were building stacks. You were you were you were seeding, putting the seeds in the uh, in the soil, and you were building those relationships with those patients, so that after that six months or a year, then they trusted you, and then you said, you know. We really need to crown that tooth, and 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 how did how did the the kind of how did the pain of the first year re- result for you? So I got through it. You know, the first the first year we we got through it. It was difficult financial first year again with the dental hygienist leaving as well, and eventually I was able to um, to hire a full time hygienist who I had known for a number of years. Um, so that, that was, that was fantastic. That was kind of took me over that big challenge. I also had my, the, the front office, uh, staff member who was with Dr. Parks, her family ended up moving out of state. And so I think that was about, uh, maybe six, seven months after I'd taken over, she moved out of state. And so I had to hire a new, a new front office staff. So I, I went through some changes. In the- I remember that too. Yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of the patient, from the patient's perspective, though, we tried to keep everything as, as smooth as possible, um, you know, again, developing that trust with those patients. And I could say that we probably kept about maybe 80, 85 percent of the original patient uh, patients from Dr. Parks's practice, uh, which I think was pretty good with all things considered. It was quite a challenge, but we got through it. Well, considering you lost the hygienist after one week and the hygienist is the, in many cases in a dental practice, the hygienist is the gatekeeper. They're the ones that have the relationships. They're the ones that are, that are going to get the question. Okay. So is this Dr. Abbas guy any good and all that kind of stuff? And I'm assuming that you building your trust with the team that they had your back. Yeah, they did. They did. I mean, the team, the team, I had a really great relationship with, with the, the old team as well as the new team. So, um, you know, basically again, you have to, you have to let them, um, you're not going to get, you can't expect the trust from, from, from day one. Uh, it takes time to let them to get to know you and, uh, you have to be genuine and honest with your patients and your staff, uh, do honest dentistry, do honest work and, and then they're going to be 100 percent behind you. Now I know you hired a dental consultant. Did you? I don't remember, Peter. Did, did you work? Have you worked with a consultant uh, that you're working with from the beginning? No. So I brought him on board um, probably about a year, maybe a year, year and a half into me owning the practice. Okay. I felt it was time to, to. We had some, you know, some challenges, and so I felt it was time to bring someone on board. And I look at the dental consultant as more like a coach or a personal trainer. Uh, they just kind of keep us in check. So initially, there were a lot of things that he went over, a lot of the metrics that we used to measure 
uh, certain things in dental practice. He was going through teaching us those things, teaching us some communication skills. And right now we're at the point where we're just kind of maintaining. Um, so we, I definitely attribute some of the growth that we had to him. Uh, he really helped us grow the practice. Um, am I allowed to mention his name? I could, I could you are absolutely allowed to mention his name. Uh, David Orr with Perform DDS. He, he really helped us quite a bit in the practice and helped us uh, grow and keep us accountable. So that was a good thing. He still comes in once a month with our practice right now since we're kind of in the maintenance, maintaining everything. And we have our hiccups. You know, every practice does. Every practice has its cycles, ups and downs. And so he helps us in those downs and, you know, praises us while we're in our ups and tells us, well, don't lose sight of the big picture and, you know, helps keep, keep us in check. We review our numbers every, uh, every month with him. Actually, we have twice a month uh, staff meetings. I run one of them and then he'll run the other one about two weeks apart. And we just use those measures, those metrics that he taught us and, and looking at number of crowns or number of units of fix we did per month and hygiene openings and hygiene production and all these different things with all the different metrics we use and measuring the success of the dental practice. Uh, and we review those with the staff. So everyone's in, in line and we have our goals set. And so, we try our best to meet those goals and you know, reward the staff for those accordingly as well. So talk about, uh, th- so those metrics and monitoring those metrics and finding where the holes were helped in the growth, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking at the big picture and, and looking at, you know, his philosophy of looking at each, you know, kind of segmenting each little section as a, you know, one month. And, you know, for example, you know, we, we have our, our production collection goals um, every month. And some months you have a really, really great month and you know, you're chugging away and you're like, man, this is all fantastic. And then perhaps you may not be, uh, you know, you're so busy working that you're going to hygiene and you're so busy. You're not you're just kind of rushing through the examination, you're not being thorough and sending the patient along. And then next thing you know, the next month, it's a really bad month. You know, like, what's going on? It's a bad month. And now you're spending a little bit more time. And, and, and now you're being more diagnostic. And the next month is really good. We call that a sharp tooth pattern. <laughs> and, and, and a lot of practices go through this. So he helped us to figure out how not to go through that, how to not overwhelm our schedules so that we have an even, consistent production and collections each and every month to make everyone happy. I think everyone really prefers to be even rather than having a really great production month and then a really bad one and then great and then bad. And so by trying to create a little more consistency month to month, those are some of the things we look at uh, in terms of maintaining our, our sanity, if you will. So that, and that's, that's great advice because we do see practices that are, you know, up and down and up and down and it probably drives the dental team uh, absolutely, absolutely crazy. Talk about does the, how have you conveyed your vision of the practice and your vision of patient care to your team? What, what, what did you tell them? I don't think it's something I told them. I just think it's something that they saw that I, I do and did. Um, my dental team currently, um, I worked with a dental hygienist for a good number of years and the dental assistants, they both have known me for some time. Um, my front office has been working with me for about over four years now. And so, uh, we all have a very, very similar philosophy. Uh, I joke around and say, we're, there's only four of us. It's kind of like we're the four wheels or tires to a car. <laughs> right. It just, it, it takes all four of us to make, to make the car go. So, they're, they all know that they're they're a very very important part of the team, and and we all have important jobs in the practice. And and uh, the philosophy is just it, it's honesty at the end of the day, taking care of our patients uh, as honestly as we can, being sincere with them, uh, not recommending treatment unless it's absolutely necessary. Those are the things we do that help our practice grow. So you're you're a again you you don't take PPOs in the practice. So we are part of just Delta. When I when I bought the practice, Dr. Parks was part of the Delta Premier right. uh, network. So at that time, um, I think that's still the case. When you, you can't join Premier only, you have to be the that. to join the PPO network. And so I'm part of the Delta PPO network, but I did not join any additional networks. Okay. For service. So from the patient's perspective, uh, nothing really changed with their insurance. Uh, when I took over the practice, exactly the same as when I bought the practice. Um, when 
patients will sometimes call, new patients will call and ask, do we accept their insurance? Yep. Talk about that. that that's important. What, what, what is your team and what do you say to them? So we explain to them, I, I don't take any HMOs. So if they're calling in, they say an HMO, we tell them we don't accept it whatsoever. And they'd be considered a cash patient to the practice. And we tell them we're, they're more than welcome to come in for a no charge consultation or second opinion to get to meet us. And perhaps they, some of them will take that, up, take that offer up. Um, other, one, other patients that have EPO plans that we may be out of network for, we explain to them that we do take their insurance. However, we're out of network providers. Um, and we explain that really, in all honesty, there usually is not much of a difference in terms of the benefits that are paid out in those particular cases. Um, and, and patients, we just, you know, we, we welcome them in to come in for a no charge consultation to meet with us and check out our office. And, and at the end of the day, I, I think we explain that we always tell them ahead of time what their out-of-pocket cost is going to be. We try to do pre-authorizations for the patients who, who request them just so that there's no surprises. But we just simply just do it that way. And and do you get um, obviously some of those patients are just gonna they they don't care they just want someone in their head who takes my insurance and that's all that matters. And those might not be patients that you want anyway. That, that's to a certain extent kind of true. Patients who are extremely insurance driven that only want to stay within the limitations of the insurance oftentimes are patients that are not well educated. So. We try our best to educate our patients and educate new patients that call in and explain to them uh, what their insurance is. Uh, I think you've said on other podcasts, insurance companies have two obligations. Uh, first, take as much premium as they can. And second, pay out as little benefit as they can. Yep. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the insurance mantra. That's what they do. So we try to explain that to the patient, that the insurance is there to help them. Um, most of them don't understand then they, you know, they think it's similar to their medical insurance where they hit the deductible, then it's paid for. We explain it's almost the exact opposite. The deductibles are really low in dental insurance, but there's an annual maximum. They're only going to be paying you know, $1,000 or $1,500 per calendar year toward their, toward their dentistry. Um, which we also explained that that number has not changed since the 1970s. Uh, I, I, I would, I would, I would beg to say that it hasn't changed since it started when uh, CDS created the first dental plan. I think it was probably around when I was born in the late 50s, early 60s. It, it hasn't. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, talk about Peter some of the mistakes you've made and and some things that you wish you would uh, have a do over for. Uh you know, I, I don't think there were a lot of huge mistakes that I did. Well, that's good. I, I was never, I, I, you know, we can't be 100%, you know, all the time. But that being said, I used my best judgment um, with the mistakes that were I was, you know, the, or the issues that I was faced with. And sometimes I didn't make the best judgment call. But there was nothing really major paramount that jumped out to me that, that, that I would say that would be, that would have been a, a major mistake that I that I did in the first year. Well, that, that's that's a, that's a good thing. And 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 what what I hear in in talking to you, and and again, you and I have talked over the years about your practice. We talked a couple you know a couple weeks ago when you came in. Is that if you care about people and they trust you and you have their best interest at heart and you're not selling them something and you want their total health to be better, they will continue to come and they will send their friends. Does that sound like a good statement? Absolutely. Absolutely. Being genuine with the, with the patients, treating them like you would your family, assuming you like your family, of course. <laughs> <laughs> assuming you like it. Did you say assuming you like your family? Yes, yes. Uh, but okay, now, now you understand that your family will probably listen to this podcast. So I would strongly encourage you to make a very definitive statement that you like and love your family, okay? I love my family and I take care of my patients like family. Exactly. Okay, so yeah, Peter, because I don't want to be getting any phone calls. Of, okay, all right. Well, we won't go down that road. So talk a little bit about what you do to market your practice. So it's mostly internal marketing. We simply just ask our patients for referrals, um, and uh, we try to thank them best we, best way we can for those. Send thank you cards out and whatnot when we do uh, get any new patient referrals from a patient of record. Right. So those little things make a big difference. But the simplest thing you can do is just simply asking patients for referrals, asking them to send their friends and family uh, neighbors over. We always appreciate that. Let them know where we are accepting new patients. Uh, in addition, I recently started working with a um, 
with a company that does some social media, uh, online marketing. They also updated my website for me. So I'm doing that. I've been experimenting with that a little bit. I've done a number of different things. Like I, I tried using some, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention, like 1-800-DENTIST, things like that. I've, I've used that in the past. And uh, for me, it wasn't really the most successful for my particular type of practice. It wasn't sending over the type of patients that I particularly am looking for. Um, but, you know, uh, we've tried different things over the years, but I think the thing that seems to be the most successful is simply asking patients for referrals or existing patients. Yep. And, and getting in, are you, um, you know, now you, you live close to, you live pretty close to the practice. Correct. About five miles away. Yeah. Right. So, so you, you, you know, your, your kids go to schools and they go to church and, um, and getting involved. Have you gotten involved in the community? Sure. So of course, um, ask, you know, friends at church who come over. We, I have a number of patients, uh, that are, that are friends from church that are at the practice right now. Um, try to get involved in kids' schools, kids' sports, sponsoring, you know, jogathons, and, you know, uh, just recently hosted a, a lunch for my daughter's uh, school staff, things like that, and even little grab bags with, you know, little, little things. Just anything you can do to make your, yourself known in the, in the community is, is going to be helpful. Yeah. It may not pay off immediately, but over time, as, as people get to know you, um, then you're, you know, it's kind of like the snowball effect. and over time, it eventually grows and grows and grows. No, that, that, that's absolutely, absolutely right. And I'm, uh, again, I, I've known you now for five years almost, and I have great respect, Peter, for what you've done. And, and the proof is in that, you know, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. I, I use a term, I've used it with you in our consultations, and I use it, um, uh, and I, I use it in my lectures. I use it in my life is my, not all of it, but my life is a math problem. And when I see a doctor who bought a practice, who's had some of the challenges, the team challenges you had, losing two of your three team members within the first year of practice, actually six months. And, and the fact is, is that you're, you're focused on your numbers, you're focused on your patients, you're focused on good care, you're focused on having a great relationship with your team. That's what's going to make it work. I mean, going off on tangents and doing dumb stuff. And I mean, you always got to try new things, but, but, but you, you've obviously done a great thing. So we're coming to the end of our time. What I'd like you to do is first tell, give, give our listeners out there just maybe one or two pearls in your mind that would just say, these are the things that are most important to grow your practice. So um, but I think honesty with your patients and your staff is first and foremost, probably the most important thing, um, because if you're being dishonest, your patients, your staff know it, and they're going to basically lose trust in you. So being honest with your patients and, and your staff and being genuine is the most important thing you can do for your practice. Um, secondly is looking at the numbers. I think at the end of the day, if you're, if you're looking at the metrics uh, looking at different things, it gives you a different perspective uh, about the practice and can help you grow the practice significantly. So working with a co- your coach or a CPA or a dental CPA like yourself or, uh, can, who can help look at these different metrics can be very, very important in helping to hone in um, hone in your, uh, your success in, in the practice. All right. Last question. What's ahead for you? What, what, what new challenges? Where are you going with the, are you just going to keep, uh, keep on keeping on? You got some new stuff that you're planning. What, what, what's, what's going on in the future here? We're, we're trying to keep things steady, keep things steady, keep things growing slow, you know, slow and consistent. And they're kind of like a tortoise in the hair. You know, we're, we're, we're the tortoise. We're just trying to chug along at this point. Uh, the newest thing I have coming on board is I'm getting that new CERC uh, acquisition unit, which will be being delivered in the next couple of weeks. Right. So I'm excited about that, and uh, that may open up some new opportunities for some, um, you know, impression-free dentistry, more impression-free dentistry and whatnot. So that's the newest thing we have going on. That's not a, not a major change. Most people won't notice that. It's kind of a new toy for me to play with. Fantastic. Uh, but, yeah, just keeping it going and keeping the staff happy and, and enjoying life. We we. we we work to live. We don't live to work. So we try to take vacations and take time off. And uh, it's important for the staff to recharge and kind of do that twice a year. In the summertime, we'll take a week off. And the winter, typically around Christmas time, we'll take a week off as well. So it's important. You know, it helps keeps us going and, and keeps everyone happy. 
Well, Dr. Peter Abbas, this is why I had you on my podcast and spent an hour talking to you because I knew that you would have some great advice and tips and just really good information for dentists to be successful. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I value you. I'm, I'm honored that you would allow us to be your CPAs. Uh, I thank you for your, um, you've been kind enough to refer some of your friends to us. We really appreciate that. But um, folks, I, I hope this information has been really helpful to you. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of nudge you to do some of the things that, that, that Peter and his team do. Uh, I'll give out my information one more time. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me in my office in Tustin, I'm at 714-259-0505. Email me at artwiederman at gmail.com. Go to the website at www.hmwccpa. Go to the resources tab. Go to the podcast tab. And all the podcasts will be there. And if you're looking for a dental CPA anywhere in the United States, uh, I'm the guy in Southern California and my team. Uh, anywhere else, it's www.adcpa.org. Peter, thank you so much. You're, you're a great, great dentist, great uh, leader, and I appreciate you taking the time and sharing this with our listeners. Thank you so much, Art, for having me on the show. Appreciate it. And ladies and gentlemen, that will do it for this edition of The Art of Dental Finance with Art Wiederman CPA. Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends. Please write a review. Spread the word again. In the next couple of months, I'm working on some very exciting news for the podcast, which I'll share with you when appropriate. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.